Hi everyone, welcome to Art Chat. I'm your host, Linda Riesenberg Fissler. And today we're gonna continue on with our series on great paintings, uh, the keys to making great paintings. And um, we're gonna start talking a little bit about color. And I say a little bit about color because um, color is a huge, huge thing. And um, you know, it takes so long when we're trying to find our voice and we're starting to paint and um, just getting into it. You know, everybody wants to use these bright, brilliant colors and then without all this understanding of really how to use color to, you know, get emotion into a painting and um, have a viewer really, really enjoy it. You know, that, that's part of the journey. That's part of finding our voice. And it, it takes a, a long time to do that. So we'll get into that in a minute. But I wanted to welcome two new patrons. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Connie. Uh, thank you so much for signing up uh, on my Patreon site. So um, looking forward to talking with you and getting to know you a little bit and uh, finding out what journey you're on and where you are in your journey as well. So wanted to thank them for signing up. And if you would like to sponsor this program, and um, other things that I'm doing, like like demo painting and different things like that that you would have access access to. Um, don't hesitate to head on over to patreon.com and look for uh, Linda Riesenberg Fissler. So it'd be www.patreon.com uh, slash Linda Riesenberg Fissler. Um, if you Google, just Google Linda Fissler and you should be able to find it that way as well. So welcome Jennifer, welcome Connie. I'm so excited to have you aboard. And hello to my patrons who have been with me for a while. I always appreciate your support and you know that as well. So also just wanted to take a minute uh, to talk a little bit about uh, COVID and um, I always do these shows with the idea that, you know, there'll be some historic value to them. So the artists that I've interviewed and um, the topics that we've talked about hopefully will live on throughout history. And I think we need to take a, a moment and just put in context <laughs> just how crazy this world has gotten, um, just so that we can know, you know, how that has uh, kind of influenced all of our, our work and what we're doing. Um, it's been probably a very stressful uh, time for a lot of people. Um, you know, we have over um, 145,000 people um, in the U.S. alone that have um, died of the coronavirus or COVID-19. Uh, this pandemic started in 2019 uh, overseas and made its way here, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, although there is some uh, evidence that shows that it may have been started here earlier. Um, and, you know, both basically it's, you know, wearing masks and um, kind of keeping to yourself. And um, we had a shutdown period where uh, it was, you know, we were, there was a mandate that all state and federal uh, things were closed, like state parks and, and things like that, uh, as we went into spring. And so a lot of people have been hunkered down, especially those who have had um, some kind of immune system um, or age uh, is another risk factor, um, you know, uh, not really a lot of uh, research at the point that 
this coronavirus started. Um, so there was, you know, how does it spread and, and all of that with it. So all of this has had an effect, I think, a lot on uh, us at the beginning. And then um, there was a horrible uh, death that we all witnessed with George Floyd, which started a, a Black Life Matters and um, protests and that also has a lot of influence on um, the art world and as we feel as human beings and where we stand on that spectrum and uh, so on. So I'm, I'm not going to get into politics. Um, that's not what this show is about. But um, certainly there is a feeling of um, weight, just a lot of weight on everybody's shoulders, pr trying to pay the bills, trying to make ends meet in a coronavirus um, world. Um, the arts have um, been affected. Uh, the Art Museum, for example, here in, um, or in Asheville, where I now live, has been closed down um, probably, gosh, I would say ever since February. And I know I talked with um, a couple folks at the Art Museum in, in a talk and, and you know the excitement was was there and we were just getting into that stay at home shut down uh, time frame and they have been closed ever since and you know that um, but that hasn't stopped the artists in Asheville uh, a lot of things have been going on we now have a beautiful Black Life Matters mural in Pack Square um, on the on the road Black Lives Matter and uh, a number of artists who applied through the Art Council um, have decorated each of the letters, and um, all of them have a symbolic meaning, which uh, is really, really interesting culture-wise to look at um, and understand. And, and so I, I just wanted to, like, acknowledge this weight that is out there and how we are spiritually moving through to find our new place in this uh, new culture and new world that's that's turning and, and coming about. So um, if anybody's listening to this in the future, you know, Google or whatever the new search engine is by that time, uh, what the coronavirus uh, pandemic was about and, um, you know, try to talk with folks that are still around and, and find out uh, who lived through it, how they felt during that time. Um, it, it's really, really quite interesting. So uh, let's move on to, to actually getting to the topic that we wanted. I just want to, and if you're listening to this, bravo, <laughs> you, know, you made it. No. Um, anyway, so just, um, just take a moment and, and just kind of breathe, okay? And hopefully art and uh, listening to the podcast and uh, how we're going to deal with color and um, all the other great keys to making great paintings. You know, hopefully that will help see you through and can focus our thinking a little bit and um, actually kind of stand in our creativeness and, and feel that force through this and um, become, you know, much more enlightened in, in the simple things that are around us. And, and certainly... While painting is a struggle and a learning curve and a journey and a voice, um, it, it is something that can be used in this time to make us feel better, to make us understand, and to make us kind of bear, if not shift, 
the weight of the world that is um, that a lot of us feel that are on our shoulders. So hang in there. We'll get through this and um, let's talk color. Beautiful, beautiful color. One other thing, I keep teasing you with this color thing, don't I? So anyway, one other thing before um, we jump into color and this will be short. Over on my Patreon page, there is one painting challenge that is open to everybody. After that, all the painting challenges are available to patrons only. So uh, the patrons who are here and who are painters, uh, the new painting challenge ends at the end of July, and then I will put one up for the end of August. Now, of course, the end of July is this week, right? So you have one week to do that challenge that's out there uh, on there. Um, and I will um, actually start to pull together the painting challenge for August, hopefully later this week. Uh, and I'm going to say since this art chat is on color, we're going to do something with our palettes and um, it'll be a lot of fun. So hope uh, you will enjoy it. And for those of you who would like to join in on these challenges, um, again, you'll have to become a patron. And I told you all that stuff at the beginning of the, the show and I will mention it again at the end. So now we're going to jump into color. All right, so color. Um, I think it's important to say at the beginning of this that um, we talked about va pa value patterns and the strength of those and um, keeping the eye moving through it and then having a place where the eye can rest and enjoy uh, that area called the focal area. And um, color really depends on those three things happening. That's why we didn't just jump right into color at the beginning of this of the series. So we have to have really, really good value shapes, a really, really strong pattern. And we have to have a way to move the eye through. And we talked a little bit about edges uh, on that. Um, it's, it's, we're gonna talk a little bit about the color wheel. Um, and then we're gonna talk about how we don't want to overuse color. Um, and what I mean by that is, gee, I like purple. I'm going to throw it in here. <laughs> or, you know, oh, gee, I think it would look great if I do, uh, you know, if I, if I add this color because I just like it, <laughs> which I've done a lot of that. And uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So there has to be a thought of color and pattern or color schemes as you go into uh, creating your painting. So if we think of the value pattern and the way the eye moves through it, um, the, the passage and the focal area, if we think of those three things as the bone, the bones of the painting, uh, the thing that gives it its strength, okay, the bones and the muscles, let's say, of the painting, uh, color basically becomes what is, you know, the skin of the painting, the 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 pretty colors that draw in possibly and uh, keep us interested and provides a voice of um, you know, atmosphere, joy, uh, sadness. Um, colors relate to emotions. So, um, you know, when we're painting, we have to think where drawing will provide some sort of gesture color will take that even further. So if, for example, if I have a drooping flower and I paint that um, 
drooping flower, you know, with shades of blue, you know, it, it, it can evoke sadness, you know, whereas if I have a drooping flower and I paint it pink or, or some vibrant color, it may draw a different emotion of, you know, a bowing, for example, of, um, you know, depending on how it's, it's, it's drawn, you know, maybe one of the petals turns upwards, even in that droop, and, you know, and then all of a sudden we may get a feeling of defiance, for example, depending on the colors that we use. So colors become our expression, as well as it being built on the bones of the painting. So even in areas where the value looks the same, uh, or is the same, color change in that value area is always interesting to the eye and always apparent. So if I have one value and in that value I have a, let's just say an umber color, um, and then in the same value I have an orange color that sits next to that. Think of it as like a rock wall. Um, and I have that umber used, an umber color that is the basis, the local color of that rock wall. And then I have an orange that is the same. Now don't think bright, private, you know, vibrant orange. Think something that is quote unquote grayed down that fits within that value range. And I place that on top of some of the areas um, that's pulling reflective light up from a lighted path, for example, that will become interesting and apparent to the eye. It will draw the eye away from that light area and into that, that um, shadowed wall, stone wall area. So that leads us to a discussion of color relationships and uh, color schemes um, as we develop and find harmonies in color, um, we learn to work with it more and to stretch it a bit more in those particular ranges. And all of that happens as we push ourselves to explore color and to understand color and leads us to color theory, um, which color is such a huge subject we're going to start talking about color theories and color relationships and um, harmonies probably in you know each separate show because that's how huge this area of color is. So I called this episode Color 101 because we're just going to touch on a few things um, in those areas and then I will talk with uh, I will talk more in depth uh, about color harmony and color relationships and color theory in separate shows. But for this uh, particular series, we're just going to talk about how color um, can attract the eye and why it is important that we learn to be constant with color change and um, talk a little bit about the color wheel. Uh, there were a number of uh, art chats that I recorded on color, previous ones. Let's see, um, I've talked with George Gallo on it. I've talked with Carolyn Anderson on this. Uh, so I would suggest, too, to go back and listen to um, Color Relationships and Harmonies with uh, George Gallo and with Carolyn um, Anderson, because Carolyn has a wonderful understanding of color from a scientific side of, of the world and, you know, why the blue 
range is uh, as long as it is when we talk about color ranges and, you know, is, is blue cool? Is it considered a cool color or a warm color? Well, the answer to that is it depends on what it's sitting next to. You can, there's a full range of blue that can sit next to any color and look um, just as warm as the, you know, yellow color, let's say, sitting next to it. So understanding this as you play with it and you, and you learn to uh, deal with it more and more, the only way you really learn about color is, is through experimenting and through your painting. And sometimes it just happens because of happenstance. You throw a color down and go, oh, wow, look at that relationship. And, oh, wow, I didn't notice that this happens to this color when I set it next to its complement or et cetera. So again, we're going to get into the basics and um, talk about those a little bit. So. You know, color can take a very, very dull subject or a subject that um, may not be attractive to someone. And um, through the use of its relationships and, and its color schemes, you can make that suddenly interesting and appealing to the eye. I um, have seen a couple paintings which were kind of interesting where uh, I think it was Quan has done this. Um, I've seen a few other artists do this. Um, you know, where they've been walking in a field or, or the one particular one I remember is um, they were walking in a field and they noticed all of this litter uh, that was left behind by someone and um, they painted that scene. And to make it appealing, the colors of the, the garbage, <laughs> you know, were really, really bright and um, stood out. And with the relationships that the person had with it, with, with the, those colors, you know, it made it, it you, you didn't want to turn away because it was very appealing to the eye, but at the same time, you really got this feeling of how much this litter was taking away from the beautiful natural landscape that the artist was initially out to connect with. To and this this garbage was overshadowing that for him, and it was interesting watching him paint that or, or, or looking at that painting and what he did with it. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, wow, <laughs> that's so true. You know, litter does detract from the landscape. So it was a, a really strong message. And he was using color to make that message uh, and, and to really bring that home. So let's talk a little bit about your palette and, and what that is. Palettes consist of the colors that you want to paint with. So, for example, um, when I studied with Kevin McPherson, before I studied with Kevin, my palette contained basically any color I wanted to put down because <laughs> I didn't understand what I was doing with colors, okay? So, you know, I would go in to paint and I would go, oh yeah, this is a pretty color, I'm gonna use this, this is a pretty color, I'm gonna use this. Or I looked at my subject that I was painting and said, oh, I need blue and I need purple and I need green and I need, you know, this reddish orange color and I need this red purple violet color. And I, you know, so I had all kind of colors all laid out. Depending on what I was going to paint, I had a range of, of colors that were there. Um, had very little understanding of the color wheel and had very little understanding of mixing, color mixing. Um, and then as I began to go on my journey, uh, those things became introduced to me. So by the time I got to Kevin, 
in, in Kevin's mentoring, there were, you know, I still didn't have a real strong understanding of um, color. You probably argue too that I probably didn't have a strong understanding of value and placing colors within a value. Um, so I began to learn and study about that. So my palette went from millions of colors and millions of values of those colors um, to basically a lim what we call a limited palette. So let me talk a little bit about um, a limited value, a limited, or actually what I, I want to go back and I want to start with um, every color out of the tube of paint has an inherent value. Those values are not the same. So when Michael Harding, for example, is in making color uh, in his, you know, handmade color area factory in Welsh, or Wales, excuse me, um, you know, he's not sitting there saying, I'm going to make this yellow, this yellow at this value. That has a part of it. I mean, it's part of the, you know, this is, this is the way his consistency has to be from his yellows, you know, color and, and what particular value comes out of the tube, et cetera, et cetera. Michael does a much better job of explaining this than, than I ever would, but because I don't mix my own colors. If I mixed my own colors, I probably, I mixed like the basic color from pigment, I probably would understand it um, even more so than I do now. But each, just for right now, let's look at each tube. Okay, so each tube of yellow. So I have cadmium yellow, cadmium yellow light. Um, I, there's cadmium orange, there's, um, you know, deep cadmium yellow, uh, you know, all these different names that are out there in the world. If I took all of those yellows and squirted them out on my palette, then took my red square and looked at those values, looked at those, those paint lines that I have from the, va from the tube, their values would be different. Okay, so we need to understand and that goes for the blues, that goes for all the greens, that goes for all the reds. They all have an inherent value out of the tube and we have to understand what that is because if we don't understand what that value is when we start to mix the color and we want to put it inside a value field, we're going to end up all over the map uh, with values and we're going to end up with uh, a mess, <laughs> okay? So I, I challenge you if you're, um, if you've been painting for a while and you're listening to this, I challenge you to go back to some of your very, very first paintings and how the person that you were studying under always was striving to get you to understand value before you understood color. But go back and look at your old, your old paintings with a, with a red square and look at how many different values you have and, and how many different places those, that particular value shows up. And then take the red square away and look at the colors that are in there. And 10 to 1, it's probably because you weren't mixing your own colors. Um, it was probably because you were just using colors from a tube and didn't understand that there is an inherent value there and you have to change that value and uh, to get it to match the value that the value pattern that you have um, in your painting. So we have that. And then um, I went from many, many colors, tube colors on my palette to down to what was called a limited color or a limited palette. The limited palette is basically ultramarine blue, alizarin crimson, and cadmium yellow. So let's start with those three. Ultramarine blue 
is a transparent color, meaning that if I took ultramarine blue and just spread it straight down on a white canvas, you would be able to see the canvas through that color, through that blue. So it's transparent. Alizarin, Alizarin crimson is also transparent. Transparent, can see through. Cadmium yellow is opaque. Okay, so there is that quality. Opaque cannot see through the color. Transparent can see through the color. So that has a change when we are mixing. How much do I want to mix an opaque color into the transparent? So let's get to titanium white, which is the other part of you know, those four, those four colors, okay, can be used to make thousands of other colors tens of thousands of other colors, okay? So red, yellow, blue, also the primary colors. And now if I mix blue with, uh, ultramarine blue with the alizarin crimson, I end up with a purple. And I can go from blue side purple to red side purple, depending on how much of each I put into the mixture. If I use red and yellow together, I end up with orange and I can go from a red side orange to a yellow side orange. And if I mix blue and yellow together, we get green, anything from a blue side green to a yellow side green. Now, as I go to the yellow side, that is warmer in, um, in temperature. If I go to a blue side green, that is cooler in temperature. So, what I'm doing is basically with words, painting you a color wheel, okay? So primary colors, uh, secondary colors, traditionary colors. So if, um, you know, you just keep mixing these colors together, and I have said this before, and please look at my YouTube page, you will see uh, a number of uh, videos where we talk about mixing colors. And I'm not even getting into gray colors because that is something that uh, will take <laughs> A another whole program to talk about. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Now there's a whole conversation that gets very scientific when you start talking about colors and it has to do with everybody sees color differently. Um, and that is because of the rods and the cones that are in our eyes. And I'm not going to get um, very, very scientific with this. Again, if you want to know more about that, please listen to the color conversation that Carolyn Anderson and I had on our chat because she's very scientific based in, in understanding this. And I'm not, um, I'm not even going to attempt to go there because as far as I'm concerned, Carolyn is the person to go talk to when, when you see that. But one thing that I do want to cover when we start talking about how everyone sees color, it is, it is subjective because of that scientific base of how we see color with our eyes. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, the frustrating part of my journey was the fact that my mentor and I did not see color the same way. And um, people will think take it harder on themselves because they don't see color a way that they want to see or the way that that mentor sees um, so instead of you know trying to explain that they're seeing that color 
warmer or cooler or bluer or redder or more yellow or than you're seeing it and saying that that's right isn't necessarily a true statement okay to me other than some basic fundamental quote unquote rules where is I've mentioned some of them previously that the value of the color needs to stay within the value pattern that you have established. Um, you know, those kind of fundamental rules of, of color. I don't think it's appropriate to say things like that yellow is too yellow. Um, you know, or that green has too much yellow in it. It should be more blue or it should be, um, you know, it shouldn't even be yellowish at all. It's, it should be all, you know, dark green, blue color. So that's how that person sees color. How you see that color may be totally different. And, and how we should be looking at color is, you know, isolating that color by itself because it will look different sitting next to another color that it's relating to. So isolating it, um, and again, there are little value um, value squares that have little isolation holes so that you can squint uh, through those holes and see the color isolated by itself, um, or you can um, just kind of make a really small circle with your index finger up against your thumb and look through that. Um, squinting just without using any aid also helps you determine uh, the value which could be deceiving you um, and also will help you uh, isolate the color a bit more. Um, and again, because color is always relating, all these color rays are, are jumping into each other's zone when you're outside painting plain air or um, when you're thinking about it in your studio and you're painting. Um, you know, there is, there is an effect that each color has on each other outside in the real world. And how we see that is very, very important. Um, there were a number of conversations where, um, you know, we, we got into, Kevin and I got into conversations about how he saw color, which is very different than how I see color. Um, and again, it's based on, on how our eyes are seeing it, the rods and the cones in our eyes. So, you know, he would come over and go, no, 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 that's the wrong color and mix it up and put one up. And I'm like, that doesn't look like that at all. You know, <laughs> or, or um, our favorite conversation was the colors that he sees in clouds that I don't see in clouds. And um, mainly because, you know, it, it's one of these things where if you drop a white tissue in shadow and look at that and then go up and look at a cloud, you know, just very quickly without like, look at the white uh, handkerchief or, or tissue on uh, the ground okay so it's a flat plane and then like close your eyes and then look up at the open them again then when you look at a cloud you may you may see other colors in that cloud um, you may not it may take you a while uh, but that was always it's like I just kept saying I don't see that I don't see that and and it could be that the way it's my eyes see versus the way that Kevin's eyes sees or versus the way that my old old instructor Larry um, seen it different than how Claude Monet see it and then you get into a whole conversation around pushing color which <laughs> which we will talk about in a little bit but I just want to I just don't want to to make a, a comment here that if you see a color a certain way 
and it's different than the person standing next to you or the person who's instructing you or you're taking painting lessons from, you know, keep in mind that you may be seeing it different than they are totally because that's the way your eyes work. And you're never going to make your eyes work like another person's eyes. Um, you can accept that that's what they say is the color or you can be bold and say, I don't see it that way. And um, I'm not saying that you can use this as an excuse um, because you, you can isolate that color. A lot of times uh, everybody's experience gets us to a point where we just automatically isolate that color in our mind differently than someone who is beginning painting, okay, because we have that, you know, we've gone through isolating that color. We understand the relationships of color to one another. So said another way, Kevin had a heck of a lot more experience than I did, you know, and than I do currently because, you know, he's older than I am. But <laughs> anyway, um, you know, this, there are a lot of things that affect color and, and that's why understanding color is always a journey and it never ends. You will continue to explore color throughout your whole artistic journey. Something fun and interesting to do um, as you're starting out on your journey or even you know at any point in your journey is to create your own color wheel. And what I mean by that is since your eyes see a specific way, um, make a color wheel that you see color with um, instead of just taking the manufacturing one and trying to mix to that, which you can absolutely do and there's nothing wrong with it. But it might be fun and interesting for you to mix your own color wheel. So let's talk a little bit about um, each each row, if you will, of the of the color wheel and what you should be thinking about putting there. So the first thing you want to start with is um, putting down what you see is is a primary color of yellow. So um, my suggestion would be just to uh, use a yellow out of a tube at this point and the same with a red and uh, the blue. So for me, since I have a limited palette and I paint from a limited palette, that would be ultramarine blue, um, alizarin crimson, and uh, cad yellow. So my yellow at the top of what I'm going to call a triangle, okay, is the cadmium yellow. And then on the left, I would put the alizarin crimson down a good ways. And then um, on the other side of the triangle would be my ultramarine blue. Okay. Now, through that triangle, I want you to draw a straight line. So from the bottom where the alizarin crimson uh, dab is, I want you to draw a straight line across to the, uh, just to the, the right. Leave enough space so that you could put another color there. And you'll have warm colors will stay on the um, left side of that line and your cool colors will stay to the right side of that line. And now since we have those primaries I want you to mix up the secondary and third colors. So as we go from alizarin crimson over to um, a red orange for example we'll, we'll mix a yellow into that and then do the same with blue towards the red side and towards the yellow side. And at Closest to the cadmium yellow, you should have a very pretty yellow green, and then a green, and then a blue green, and then your blue, and then your blue violet, 
your violet, your red violet, your alizarin crimson, your red orange, your orange, your yellow orange. So that would be your outside or primary wheel, primary uh, wheel, largest part of it, okay? And then you want to mix uh, another row of colors from that, which will become your tertiary colors, okay? Um, and then that is just a mixture of the two colors, the outside of the wheel, all right? So you would end up with some pretty lavenders. You'd end up with some um, more bluish yellow colors and, uh, and just kind of play with that. And then in the center part of the wheel, I want to step back to the middle ring for, for a second. Um, so in the middle ring, you would have 12 colors and they could possibly be um, 12 colors at, at the palest strength of those colors, okay? And then the, you have another inner ring and that would show the darkest version of each of those colors. Um, so basically while you're playing with on the two center, that the inner ring and, this, and, and the middle ring are just variations of value of those colors. And this would just be, like I said, be a fun experiment for you to do just to see how you see color. Um, it also will help you continue to mix those particular colors the same because it's a mixing exercise as well as, as understanding color exercise. Um, so we did talk a little bit about gray and gray uh, is, is a wonderful way um, to bring your painting together, to have it hang together without oversaturating everybody's eye with so many different colors. So, um, you know, there's an exercise that I did with my class in Middletown where uh, I had some leftover mud uh, from a previous painting where I just took all of my colors and mixed them all together. And then what I did is I did a little exercise on color relationships and um, grays and how that makes your eye jump to uh, the continuation of its pattern through, you know, its, its passage through the pattern of the, the painting. And um, what I did was I took that mud and I put it in one corner of my palette and then I took uh, the primary colors, red, yellow, and blue, and set them at uh, the top part two of the palette where, where the mud pile was, was sitting. And I took some of the mud and I would put uh, just a touch, just a little bit of blue into that. And then, you know, I'd say, okay, so what color is this gray leaning towards? Oh, it's leaning towards blue. And then I would take a compliment and I would mix orange into it. And then I would place it next to it and say, well, now what color is it changing to? And you could see just that subtle difference in the grays and how, you know, and I mixed a purple and I put it next to, to the orange, the orange, orange gray. And all of a sudden it started taking on a more red hue. And so it was interesting and very informative to watch how these subtle grays changed when you put something next to it. Then I mixed a, a color without any gray in it. Let's just say green. And I put that down um, below the three different colors that were there and then the effect that that had on those grays with your eyes. So understanding that process is a lot of fun to do and I'll probably do a video on that. Uh, there's one out there already but 
um, I actually want to try and do that over again. And um, it, it's kind of, it's really hard to see, uh, but like on a video, unless you got a really, really good camera and, and a really good setup, and I, I really don't have that. So, um, you know, it, it's really, really interesting to see in, uh, in person. So I encourage you to get some mud, <laughs> not mud from the, from the yard, just, you know, save some old leftover paint, create an agripane mud pile, if you will, and then just have fun mixing up all these different grays and study how they relate to one another. It's well, well, well worth your time to do that. And they're so important in a painting. The grays are so important in a painting because your eyes will tend to kind of gloss over them and move to the next uh, passage of the painting, but it also ties it together and it makes the areas where you're not using the gray, the, the quote unquote more pure color, it really, really makes it pop. Um, so if you're struggling over getting, getting your focal area to pop, your one focal interest area to pop, you know, try putting some gray colors and making some relationships around it and see what happens. Um, you don't have to always just say, oh, I'm going to put a little bit of cadmium red there because that'll really make it pop. You know, get away from that. That's, that's, that's an old crutch that everybody always uses. Try using grays around something um, and not so much the, you know, I'm going to put red here because the eye always goes to red and I have a lot of green in the painting. You know, try using some grays around there and see what happens. And um, I think you'll really uh, enjoy that, uh, especially once you start, you know, getting to understand that color uh, relationship with using the grays a bit more. Okay, so we're still going to hang with, if you will, the color wheel since we've been talking a little bit more about that. And I want to talk about color schemes for a, a second. A lot of folks enjoy using a small color wheel and its various color schemes, and that's fine. Um, starting out with a, a small color wheel or a simplistic color wheel will help you build your knowledge about color and its relationships and its, its temperature. So you learn a lot by starting with a small, limited palette and then work to expand that in different ways and experiment with it. So we're going to talk a little bit about color schemes and, and how you can do that with just, you know, a very small color wheel. So um, one of the color schemes that um, you see a lot of um, and is a lot of fun, I actually enjoy uh, this one very much is the monochromatic color scheme. And that's typically using one color and using that, uh, the values of that one color to uh, make a very monochromatic color scheme of a painting. So um, one color uh, plus maybe black and gray uh, would be one way of using that. So, or, you know, just as I said, you're going to make it you see a lot of monochromatic done with sienna or umber, so it's various values of those two. That's what I typically use for my underpainting. I start off very monochromatic, and then I go into more and more colors. Um, and then there's limited analogs, and that is three to five adjacent colors on the color wheel. So um, maybe I start with yellow, and then I go into uh, yellow-orange and um, more orange, and then over on the other side of yellow, so I have a yellow-green and then one that's, you know, the typical green. So that would be um, one that uses five 
adjacent colors on the color wheel. Expanded analogs. So that would be, I would have my five colors that I mentioned on the limited analog, the orange, the yellow orange, the yellow, the yellow green, and the green. And then I add um, more colors to that. So think of it as one primary plus three adjacent colors on each side. So then we go down into red-orange and we go down into uh, the blue-green. So you would end up with seven, seven colors on your wheel to play with. So that's expanded analog, okay? And then there's complementary, which is, I think, the one that a lot of people use a lot. And that's because um, we tend to think in, in complementary. So those would be like opposite colors. So um, if I wanted, I have a, um, a painting of the Golden Gate Bridge that I did in yellow and, and, and uh, purple, for example. And those two are complements because they're, they're um, opposite each other on the color wheel. So if you look at yellow, purple is opposite. This is why Christmas is so gorgeous, red and green. Okay, they're complements to one another. So everything red and green always looks really, really great together. And then blue and orange. So those are the complement um, color scheme. Double complement. So that would be two sets of opposite colors. So if, um, you know, if I went blue, orange, and uh, red, green, for example, basically you wouldn't start with those particular colors. You, what you want is the ones next to those. So it wouldn't be a straight red. It may be the red, purple, and then the um, yellow, green, for example or the um, red, blue, and the uh, you know, yellow, orange together, okay? So that's double complement. And then split complement, um, where you would take the yellow and then you wouldn't use the purple, but you would use the red, purple, and the blue, purple on the color wheel. And then there is semi-tridaic, Complementary, that's two complements plus one color, two places to the left or the right of one of them. Okay, so you would use yellow, purple, then you would skip the blue, purple, and go right to the, the complement of blue. Okay, and then the triadic, and that is three equal start colors other than the three primaries. So instead of doing yellow, red, and blue, you would do yellow, orange, blue with a, a touch of yellow in it. So blue, yellow, blue, okay. And then um, the red, purple violet, however you want to call that violet, I guess is what we would call that. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to pull these out of my mind. Sorry. So that would be um, the triadic. Okay. So those are the different color screen schemes that you can play with and, and learn from. And one of the things that you need to do is too, which is always a lot of fun, especially if you're painting from photo reference, is to uh, decide what your color screen scheme is going to be and how um, that looks 
by not looking at a photograph. So it, it's really, um, what really opened up the door for me to play with color is doing that uh, monochromatic start, uh, whether that's sienna or a grayscale or, um, you know, deciding to use blue because I want to take it to a blue-orange complement scheme. You know, so just kind of think of that and, and just kind of expand um, how you see and how you're using color when you're doing that. So, you know, you choose a color scheme you want for your subject and you stick to that color scheme. You can't change it halfway through because it, it'll, it, it'll just look like a mess. So, and it won't be very pleasing. Um, and then, like I said, you just begin to start painting. Uh, so there's all different kind of, you know, if you go out and you Google each one of those color schemes, it'll show you different paintings that use those different schemes. Um, and you can study that and, and um, you know, as you go. So I'm going to stop here at the color wheel um, and, and the different color schemes that we talked about. Uh, it, before we jump off into, you know, how there's like a, a quote-unquote foolproof color scheme for any subject and um, making color decisions and then getting into um, using color to um, emphasize an area or in natural color versus interpretive color. I, I mean, like I said, this is still color 101. This is color 101 part one. Um, and I gave you a few things to think about with the color wheel and your limited palettes and um, things like that. And we're about, we're coming up to an hour and I don't really want to take any longer than that. So we're, there's going to be a, a color 101 part two um, that we'll talk about a, a bit more about color. Uh, but those are the, you know, we basically covered the, the uh, fundamentals of of color at this point and um, want you to think about the things that we've said uh, about that um, and then we'll we'll jump off and talk about the the other part of color and then um, we'll go into uh, color 201 which is like color theory and color harmony and and different things like that in, in a future art chat uh, again if you're looking for more about color and you just can't wait, um, the George Gallo and Carolyn Anderson um, YouTube versions of the art chats uh, are available on my website, uh, lindafissler.com. Um, and we're going to do a painting challenge that has to do with color uh, and palettes. Uh, and that is going to be available to my patrons um, in August. So if you want to become a patron, it's www.patreon.com slash Linda Riesenberg Fissler. And, um, you know, feel free to join there. Uh, and I'll be creating a whole nother video around um, color, at least the limited palette one, and um, what you need to do with that. Um, trying to think what else. We need to talk about uh, at this point. I, I'm thinking that's pretty much it. Um, again, stay tuned for Color 101 Part 2. And thanks for listening to Color 101 Part 1. So <laughs> have a good day, everyone. Stay sane. Um, stay healthy. Uh, have a good week.
month, and we'll be talking with you soon. Thanks. Bye.